challenged. And you know, I, when you speak, you, you look at a crowd that's you don't you don't you don't know what people are going through. And, and you know, I'm coming from quite a, a damaged place. Um, it's been the worst two years of my life as I look at Burundi, and it's been very depressing and very bleak, and lots of lots of tears. And, and some people, if you come this evening and you're broken and in pain and wounded, just, just you know, as I talk about challenge and encouragement, some people, all you need is encouragement this evening. If all you need is encouragement, just take the encouragement. And so, but so I will speak with, with challenge because that's how I'm wired. Um, but sometimes we're just not in a place to hear that. Or, you know, it's just like we just need to receive encouragement. So if that's you, just uh, take, take a nugget or two that I'll be sharing with the mess for and... Uh, but I think in general, we all need challenge and stirring up. And so I hope you're up for that as well. Why don't we start in prayer. Father, thank you that we can call you Father, Daddy, Abba. What an extraordinary gift which with familiarity could breed contempt. But no, this evening fresh, we sit as your sons, as your daughters in your presence and say, glorify your name. Speak through an s speak through myself, and bring just what you want to for the building up of the church. So we surrender ourselves to you and say, have your way and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, I would have rather do less of the talking tonight because I've, I, it's a real thrill for me. For those of you that don't know, I've been out in Burundi 18 years, and uh, they have been amazing. I went out when I was 25. Uh, it was the most dangerous country in the world at the time, and I know that because my mummy sent me a newspaper cutting, so charting it. I don't know if she's trying to encourage me or what, but uh, it, it's, it's been an extraordinary uh, journey and adventure, and uh, you know, massive highs, deep lows, and I went out there because I prayed a prayer in 1998 as a business development executive in Woking, not so far away. And my prayer that took me out to Burundi, which I encourage all of us to pray, is, is just, Lord, I'm in. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. So that was the prayer that took me to Burundi. It's not, a, it's not rocket science, is it? Yeah, we can sometimes complicate things. If you want to follow God's will and know God's will and walk in God's will, then it, it means just coming to him in surrender and saying, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And I won't bargain with you, Lord. And, and that's, um, that's tricky, isn't it? Because I think we all bargain with God. Or we want to bargain with God and say, I'll, tr- I'll trust you for this, but I can't trust you for my finances. Or I'll trust you for my job, but I can't trust you for my kids. I mean, that's a massive one. Those of you that are parents here, that incredible primal protective instinct that is God-given, I think. But, uh, you know, that's been very tested for me in the last few years in terms of trusting Jesus for my, my children and thinking what will everyone you know something goes wrong to my wife or children you know I'll never forgive myself but no one will forgive me they'll be like how could you have done that you know, so wrestling, wrestling with that and wrestling with decisions being made from a paradigm a whole foundation of faith or of fear and uh, so I'm going I'm to talk more about that after an Esfil but uh, you know as I, as I look as I look back and then up to the point we've come to you know, last night we were preaching together in Finchley, and it was, it was like a dream for me, because the aim has always been to, to build a, a ministry. But, you know, it's not the white man's religion. And it was always to have someone else come alongside and take over. And, and that's for, 
is a lot more gifted than me. And I'm not, that's not false humility. He's a remarkable man. I've often talked about him being the most amazing man I've ever met. Uh, and, and so, you know, him is going to, he's going to take on the ministry moving forward, which is exactly what, you know, the best case scenario of what I could have hoped for. And so, you know, he's speaking to you now in his third or fourth language. And, uh, and uh, you know, we pray that it will flow. And it totally flowed last night. And allow yourself to be encouraged and challenged and moved. And uh, this is his second trip in England. And uh, I love the fact that, you know, because I knew him five, ten years ago. And he couldn't speak English really much at all. And now, now he's going to let rip on you. And the Lord's going to use him to encourage you. So, why don't we give a round of applause for an S4. Good evening, everyone. I'm not sure that he's on. Okay. Technology. Well, it's a privilege for me to be here and to use my French English. You have a flavor of the French English tonight. And I'm pleased to be here and be with Simon's friends and be in England. England has been, <coughs> UK has been always uh, a country we thank God for in Africa for bringing us the gospel. And uh, we thank you very much. Maybe they were your parents or your grandparents, but we owe you gratitude for coming to Africa and sharing the gospel and then sending Simon to Africa during the time which was not really a good time for sending a young person. Africa. <clears throat> my name is Onesfo Manrakiza. The meaning of my name is Manrakiza means God is Savior. It means a lot about my, my history when I was born. I was born on Monday and there was civil war on Saturday. And uh, my parents were running away for safety and I was on, on the back of my mother. There was no cars, no bicycles, just walking day and night. And people were behind hunting them down, you know, wanting to kill them. And when they checked on me, they found out that I had been breeding from my umbilical cord. And there was almost no blood in my, my body. They had a quick meeting to decide to make a big decision. Do we keep this baby dying and then expose the entire family or... Do we throw him in a bush, in the jungle, and then save the rest of the family? You know, the African families are big. I'm one of the nine kids. Then you could easily forget about the one and keep the rest of the, the others. <clears throat> and the wisdom came from God through my dad. And he said, we will be miserable all our lives if we throw him now. Let's keep him until he dies completely. And then they kept me. I spent my first three months as an internally displaced person in the country, and I didn't die. That is why I'm here. <laughs> the name came after that uh, event. When I w they went back home, they saw, they remembered how God has been good and protected me. Then they say, God is the Savior. God protected him. Actually, this story has been very powerful in my life <clears throat> because when I came to know Christ, Jesus and the Holy Spirit used it to call me to ministry. And the Bible, Jesus was bringing me in uh, my mind uh, the verse in, in uh, Jeremiah, which says that before you were born, let me, let me read it, Jeremiah 1, 5, <clears throat> says, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I concluded when I became a believer that it was not by chance or by incidence that I have been protected. There might have been a reason. And God was telling me, I kept you for a purpose. And I think this is the reality for everyone among us. No one is here by chance. No one is here because of the safety of a country, a careful family. God kept us for a purpose. And on each of us, I mean, for each of us, God is expecting us to walk in our calling and to do what we have been made for. That is how I started my life. And I became a believer when I was 15. <clears throat> Again, it's a story because my family is a Tutsi family. In Burundi, it's a country where we have three tribes, Hutu, Tutsi, and Tua, pygmies. And the Hutu is 84, 85%. Hutu are, Tutsi are 14 and the pygmy are 1%. I'm from the Tutsi. And this group was very resistant, very against the gospel, not open at all. And after, when I was born, the genocide was, uh, Hutu were accused to have killed Tutsi. Then that was an excuse for Tutsi people not to listen to the gospel. And the pastors and the leaders in my village made a decision to pray. And they spent three years praying every Saturday, doing an overnight on a mountain, praying for our families. Lord, would you move in their, these families? Or, Lord, would you open their eyes so that they can see the need. And three years after, that is when the revival broke into our communities. No one came to our family to preach. And no one really was convincing me about the gospel. The Holy Spirit was convincing us. Actually, my family was going through a difficult time. Uh, you know, we are from an mystic background with witch doctors. Uh, my mother was sick and lots of things going on. And then when this revival came... All the family was open to the gospel. And we came to church. Because you could see the one you have never seen who was sick in the house, walking outside, going to church. You could, you know, we were seeing things we never seen before. That is how I became a believer. And this is also big in my life because the, the revival DNA, I think I got it. I kept it within me. Whenever I went to church, I cannot be happy with a very, you know, routinely church, where there is no zeal, where there is no life, where there is no passion. What are you doing? This is not what I seen when I was born, when I came to the, to, to the Lord. There must be another way of living. That is how he became like a, a crazy guy. And I learned from this story what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37. Jesus said, uh, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the mass of the harvest. He could have said, therefore, go and evangelize. Therefore, donate and do this and that. But he said, therefore, pray. I, I think prayer is the quickest thing we can do in a mission. Whenever people don't want to listen to you, talk to their uh, creator. Talk to the one who made them. And I believe there is no civilization which is hard to God. There is no culture which is difficult to God. Whether Muslim or Western or African, they are difficult to us. They can be uh, difficult to our 
a way of evangelism and a mission, but not to God. And then when we pray, we can expect that God can do something. That is how I started the ministry, Harvest for Christ, which I have been leading for 17 years now. And then I stepped down, I stepped down to take over Simon's position. We started praying. I was missing this picture, this church where the sick are healed. Well, there is a revival where people come to Christ, where, where people enjoy being Christians. And um, that is how I started Harvest for Christ. And the first thing we started doing was prayer. And we had a very a monthly overnight. I was trying to imitate the pastors. And we were praying, gathering young people, praying for the revival, praying for the country to be open to the gospel. And then we were expecting that God will use somebody else. And that's what our role was to pray. But actually, God surprised us. He called us to do that. That is how three years after, we found ourselves doing an evangelistic event, which has been going on now for 12 years in the country. And then I started sending out evangelists. And when I, send, I sent out 47 evangelists the first time, they spoke to 1,800 people. And 1,200 people became believers. The following year, I sent 100 evangelists. They spoke to 5,000 people. And then I kept on increasing the number. Now we are sending this year 750 evangelists out in different places of the country. Well, it's amazing because you start praying and then you are the one going. It's amazing. And I think it's biblical because uh, whenever, when Isaiah have seen the Lord, and God asked, who can I send? Who can go for me? Exactly as Isaiah could not say no. I guess that the mission cannot be possible when people don't have intimacy with Christ. I guess that the mission is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's a response to the love of Christ. And when there is no mission going on, I don't think it's a good solution to push people. I think people should be pushed to seek God and pray, and have intimacy, and be back to the roots, and have fellowship with Jesus, and hearing from God his dreams and plans, and willing to participate in what he's doing. Yeah, that has been a great time for me, doing that event, uh, mission uh, in Burundi. We have seen miracles going on. And again, it's amazing, because the people we're sending out are not the people who are really professional evangelists. They are 14 years old, 15 years old. They are young people. The older one would be 30. They have never been preaching in a church, but they go out in obedience to the calling of God. And when they get there, the Holy Spirit starts doing the work. Again, here's another lesson. The Holy Spirit will not be working mightily when I'm sitting out there. But when I get out, when I get out of my comfort zone, when I am exposed, when the name of Jesus is exposed, surely he will show up and he will do miracles and the name of God will be glorified. It does not matter if I am old, I mean, very old in faith, uh, have many years in the church. It's a matter of faith. And one of the guys who took over my position as a director of Harvest, he was, that was his first year in faith. And he went in this evangelistic outreach. It was... Uh, his first year after he was a believer. And then they had really a big challenge. They said, we cannot listen to you if you don't pray for this lady. 
There was some, a lady who was sick, could not walk for three years. They were taking her from the house and forgetting some, you know, it's a sunny country. You have uh, uh, the sun shining all the day. Then taking him, her out and bringing her into the house. And this guy was, he told me, I was miserable in my heart. I am new in faith. And they, they challenged me to pray for the sick person. I have never seen somebody getting healed. <laughs> and then he was with another guy, and they started singing and praying, singing and praying. And at a sudden, they felt the energy to say, Lady, stand up in the name of Jesus. And she stood up. All the village came just amazed. Everyone was saying, we believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. You don't have to explain too much. We have seen him working. Actually, my successor in Harvest has been just edified by this event. You know, it's not a matter of being very strong and capable. It's a matter of being available and ready to go with Jesus. Then we've been doing this, and it's not, it has not been always easy. Because responding to the God's call, and, and I guess that is why it's not easy. We don't see many people really coming in mission responding to God's call, it's costly. It's not cheap, it's costly. When God called me then, I was finishing my university education and uh, as the first graduated in my family, as the first lawyer in my county, as, you know, everyone had expectation on me. Even my church leaders, they thought I would be their lawyers. They were very disappointed. My family, my siblings, everyone was disappointed. And I spent five years no one could understand me. Everyone was trying to get me a job to do. They said, we know you are a clever guy. Why don't you do a job? And I remember that these guys from World Vision and uh, uh, the Student Union, they say, we, 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 we think you need to apply for this job. They sent somebody I respected. I said, we have been thinking about you. We think that you need a job. Why don't you apply for this job? And my answer was, yes, you're right. If a job is earning money, I don't have a job. But if a job is doing something which is good, I think I have a job. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm, I'm out advising people. They, they said, we thought you were clever, but you are crazy. You are crazy. Then, these years were very hard for me because I remember, because no one was interested in me at all. And I remember getting sick, and I was coughing blood, and I went to see the doctor, and uh, the doctor checked on me and said, you have nothing wrong except that you need food. I said, wait a minute, do you want me to stop preaching, and then, because I don't have food. He was a believer. I, he said, no, 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 I said, preach, but also eat. I praise God, because at that time, when I shared the story like I was, I'm sharing with you, one lady in the church decided to give me one, a liter of milk every day, a day for one year, and that saved my life. You know, it's not, you don't have to give a big donation to do great things. It can be a very tiny thing which saves somebody. My life was saved by a lady obeying, obe, being obedient to Jesus and giving milk for a liter per day. For one. She does not remember about that, but I will never forget about that because that was a very hard time. And then this is a time really was very bad time. Again, when we hear about history, the stories of missionaries and the people who serve the Lord, there is always a time of wilderness, a time of problems. And you wonder, why does God let people go through this? 
I think God let us go through this so that he may take away all our idols and our security and we, we focus on him. He becomes our only one security we depend on. And I believe, if I look back in my country, when people have their securities, their jobs, their money, and their families and whatever, they are tempted not to be really needing God and seeking God. And when these securities are somehow in challenge, I see people coming to church and I see people seeking God. Maybe sometimes our blessing becomes a hinder to listen to God and to hear God's voice. Then it's been a great work I've been doing with Harvest. And I praise God during that time which was very hard, God sent a blessing to Burundi. And the blessing is Simon, Glow, and all the people behind Simon. I used to say that I was a dreamer before I met Simon, and I became a visionary after we started working together. Because I had many ideas. The country has been living without missionaries at all. From 86, 87, all the missionaries were kicked out by the government. And we've been living years and years without any real involvement of missionaries, except maybe some couples who stayed. We were disconnected to the global church. And amazingly, God sent Simon. We didn't know that it would be so big like now we are concluding. It's been a real blessing to the country. And then I met him. We were going to a scripture union camp. I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to speak to him. I never met him before, but I obeyed God. I spoke to him, and, you know, he didn't tell me any promise or whatever, but we were connected, and we kept connected for two years, and then he started investing in me in Harvest. Now Harvest is one of the dynamic organizations in the country that many people are inspired by Harvest. We are now having many pastors raised throughout Harvest in this movement. Then it's been a real Great blessing. Now, I'm privileged to take over and uh, lead GLOW, which is a challenge and, a, and uh, a, a privilege. A challenge because I'll be serving my peers. I'll be serving those who coached me, those who worked, I mean, the leaders of organizations. It's very humbling. And a blessing and a privilege because um, I'll be... I'll be privilege to manage, I mean, to, 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 to work for this unique organization in the country, investing in key people, giving a chance to the, to the leaders to emerge, and to the hope of transformation of the country. Now with GLOW, we are behind many projects. All of them are very strategic. Education, we have the best school in the country now which is really giving hope. People used to be traveling to Nairobi, to Kenya, to Uganda for a good school. Now we have a school in the country, and through GLOW. And we are reaching out students in the university. We are reaching out youth in the churches across the country with Scripture Union. We are doing these outreaches. We are standing against the threat of Islam because Islam is targeting the country from the north going to the south. We are really now helping uh, emerging churches Dynamic churches with a mission DNA. We are doing things incredible. And exactly, and recently, especially during this crisis, there was a, you know, a problem around election. And uh, the president decided to run the third term, even if the constitution was not allowing him to do so. 
and uh, there was a protest which uh, led to a military coup which failed and a lot of killings and 400,000 people, refugees in Rwanda and other countries. That was a great time for us to evaluate the impact of GLOW in Simon Burundi. Because around him we started meeting as leaders from 2011. And then 2015, when everybody was leaving the country, we were talking around breakfast and we were talking, are we, what is going to happen with the church? And one guy said, I think the church is going to compromise as it did in 1993. And they will say, where is the church? And we said, can we let this question be asked? Aren't we mature enough? Aren't we connected and well-informed to play a role in this country? And they said, wait a minute, we are also divided. We are Hutu and Tutsi. How can we really uh, overcome this challenge? And we set up some values to keep us together. Life is sacred. We should, no one should die. Co- uh, compassion. If Jesus was in Bujumbura, he would not run away. He would go to the ones in the need. And unity. We are different, but it's good. It's good because it's God's plan. He created us in diversity, and we should keep the unity and responsibility. Then we start working together. I can tell you now in the country, the, the movement we created, it's called Christian Charity for Peace. It's a whole movement for peace. has really helped many people, brought hope to people. We broadcast on radio six times a week. We have uh, conferences for the influencers, the leaders of military, the politicians. We have sport rally. And uh, really, this is bringing transformation. I remember this was a difficult thing to do. Again, following Jesus is not cheap. It costs him. Everyone was leaving the country. I remember leaving the country myself. And spending a week in Rwanda. And then after a week, the Holy Spirit was talking to me. How can a a captain of a ship leave the first when the ship is sinking? And I was convinced that God wanted me to go back to Burundi. And I remember coming back, uh, crossing the border to Burundi, and meeting hundreds of people trying to get out of the country. And they asked me, what are you doing with those tiny babies? Because I have a family and four kids, 11, 9, 5, 3. What are you doing? I, th- I said, I think God is calling me to go back to Burundi and do something. Again, they say, you are crazy. You, you, you don't think. You don't love your family. And then we came ba- I came back. It was a very big decision to make, but also it means, are we here to live forever or are we here to live for the time we need to live? Is that wise for me to secure myself and be useless or is that wise for me to do what I need to do and then maybe go home whenever it is time? And I was convinced in my heart that uh, if I need to die, it will not be an incident. It will not be an accident. It, there will be a meeting in heaven. And this meeting will be about where is Onesphore useful? Is it he useful in Burundi? Then we keep him in Burundi, we protect him in Burundi. Or is he useful in heaven? Then we let him come. It does not have to be a severe war. I can even die in the bathroom or whatever. Then I went back to Burundi and we did all this work now. Really, many people are very proud of the work we're doing. And exactly, uh, not only we did this peace event, we are organizing our first mission congress in the country, 19 years after. That is, again, people around the globe 
organizing this event. Then we'll be having missionaries coming in the country who are still alive and the leaders in the country. And we'll be talking about our history, celebrating what has been good, and just looking, checking what is the challenges, put, identifying the challenges, and think about how do we overcome these challenges? How do we address them? This will be in October. We ask you to pray for this event. We want this event to be a kind of uh, a momentum for the indigenous church in Burundi to take the responsibility, to understand this is the church of God. We have been privileged to lead it and we'll be in partnership with brothers and sisters in the world. And we are proud to have Simon and Glow because they represent the global church in Burundi. They represent brothers and sisters around, from around the world in Burundi. As I conclude my talk, I would like to remind us, brothers and sisters, as uh, people from the UK, you are special people. You've been special to the world. And in heaven we tell you, when we meet in heaven we will tell you how special you've been to the world, taking the gospel. We have many heroes and monuments in Africa. David Livingstone has a monument in my area. And these are people from your country. Wonderful. But these people were the heroes of faith in their generation. And each generation needs its heroes. We cannot be distracted by the heroes of the past. There is a need of the heroes of the present and the heroes of the next generation. And my question is, where are the heroes of faith in our generation? And what are we doing to help the heroes of the generation to come arise? This is a question for me and a question for you. God bless you. I hope that was encouraging. Um, so encouraging to me. And uh, we're, we're soulmates and we're doing it together. We both counted the cost as, as we encourage everyone to count the cost. You know, it, it, it has been costly. When we met around that table, as war kicked off, 2015 in, in April it was, and uh, anyway, I looked around that table at these key brothers and sisters, you know, that have, we've met together since 2011. It's been very intentional in terms of building relationships across tribal backgrounds and areas and, and uh, you know, just building solidity and uh, and in 1993 the last major genocide that someone produced a tract saying where did the people of God go so the church had failed and we're like well we're not going to fail this time we're going to assume our prophetic role crit- critiquing what's going on and speaking out for truth and and uh, you know we all had to count the cost because and praise God none of us has paid the ultimate cost but it was very real and at this holy moment probably with gunfire going on at the time because it was going on at the time all over the place but I can't remember if literally we were listening to gunfire but Looking around the table, right, who's the best at, uh, you know, we've got to get key theologically thought through people to speak on television and radio, right? You guys do that. Who are the best to do with the, the malicious? All uh, right, you guys do that. And social media, you know, Facebook and WhatsApp was being used to share truth as well as a lot of lies. So we need to be engaged there, coalescing around these four core values that he talked about. And it was, it was beautiful. And I remember organizing one meeting. And as the organizer, I didn't even know if I could get there because there were roadblocks everywhere. And, uh, you know, I got through my motorbike through those roadblocks. And then I got there thinking, well, are, are 12 people going to come? And, and so they poured in, poured in. There are 400 young people who came. And uh, you can imagine the intensity of worship in that kind of environment. Where, you know, you've all counted the cost. And, uh, and uh, people have come up to us months later uh, and said, we're still alive because you did that meeting. Because 
because basically we were on the streets throwing stones and the friends that carried on throwing stones on the streets, they're dead. And uh, so very, 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 you know, key stuff happening. And then, you know, our conference center out there that we built as a social enterprise, which absolutely thrived. And then now it's just in survival mode because the whole economy is completely imploded. But we had a meeting on the top floor and all around our area, there are roadblocks stopping people, paralyzing, you know, no commerce could take place if you drove to it. When he did his radio stuff, for example, you'd, you'd have to jog from his home because jogging was allowed. But if you went in a suit, you know, you're clearly going to work, you're carrying on your job. So he would jog to the conference center, then change into a jacket and tie to go on TV or radio. And, uh, and so all these roadblocks were everywhere for months and months. And then we had our meetings, part of CIP in the top, top of our conference center and those militia leaders the next day all the roadblocks had gone. And the government couldn't have done that. You know, that was the body of Christ doing it and taking risks. And then a lot of those guys were then killed in, on one day in, uh, in December. And, you know, I felt, you know, bringing this personally in terms of, uh, you know, how I was sort of reacting to it because, you know, it's pointless putting people on pedestals. We all have that. We all, you know, have fears and concerns for kids and that sort of stuff. And you know, at that time, I was like, what, what am I going to do? I want to get my family out of here. You know, I don't want them to be dead. I don't want them to be screwed up. We can get on a plane just like that. It's very easy. But, you know, that's, that's, that's deserting a sinking ship, isn't it? And if you're a leader, and if, you, and if you're a man or a woman of faith, then we've got to model faith, that faith, not fear. And, uh, as, and if, if I had left as one of the you know, quite high-profile leaders, then, then you know, loads of people would have left. So, so we stayed, we stayed, and then the Lord just very creatively enabled a, an exit strategy. And that was by... My son Josiah, who was five at the time, he's seven now, swallowing some popcorn into his lung. And, you know, he's breathing like that. I don't know if any medics say, but he'd gone into his lung. He's, he, he wasn't in pain, but he it needed dealing with. We left, left it a few days, not sure what's happening. But we went to the, uh, then we went to the only American pediatrician in the country, and he said, you need to get on the next flight. It's, it's, you know, that needs dealing with. And uh, he needs a bronchoscopy, which cannot be performed in Africa. Uh, well, not in Burundi. Uh, you know, it's a, t- a tube with a camera on it. it has to go down into his very small little lung, down his little small tubes, and then extract that to that kernel, or he would he would eventually die. Um, and uh, and so the next flight was three days away. So we had three days, said goodbye, had a farewell football match. It was all very calm. And I only say that because a week later the coup happened and they, uh, people evacuated. Evacuation is really traumatic, even for an adult. It's very strange. You know, I felt this lack of closure with friendships that suddenly I'll never see them again spread across the world as those guys never came back. And so they went back to England and, you know, lots of people, even in this room, some of you were praying. I just want to bless you for that. As, you know, I, I, it's very moving to me, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that, that people do pray for us because I think that's why we're still alive. I think that's why my children aren't damaged. But the day of the operation, two weeks later, I had to wait for his um, antibiotics course to be finished. And the day of his operation, he, he coughed, <laughs> and it, out it came. And that's a miracle. That was like God in his grace and mercy. And uh, I battle with that, you know. I battle with that because that hasn't happened to my friends. You know, I think of a friend whose kid wets herself every time she hears gunfire. You know, like trauma, just... Gunpipes, and in those days, that was ten times a day. And so sometimes, you know, we're so uber blessed, and you think, Lord, why? You know. But I take it on the chin. Luke twelve forty eight. Jesus said, "To those who've been given much, much will be required." Isn't that right? I think we've been given a lot. 
by dint of being born in a country at peace. Um, if we're from Warnish, Warnish is a nice place, isn't it? And we don't feel guilty about our blessing, but with privilege comes responsibility. And I, and I take that fully on the chin. And, and so my kids stayed for a whole term in England. I, I did the coming and going thing. And I came back um, in, on December, about December the 10th. And I said to Lizzie, we need to pray about going back. I'd, I'd asked everyone, and pretty much everyone in Burundi, key leaders of faith, so not your average Joes, key leaders of faith, should, we, should I come back with the family? They, they all bar one said, don't, don't you dare bring your family back. And that might have been the right decision, but it had to be a decision made from a place of faith and not fear. And so Lizzie and I, we both prayed. We set aside a week to pray and fast and seek God on that. And, um, and on that week that we decided to pray, on the day, there was 160 people were killed in Bujumbra. A lot of those were militia leaders that had been in our meeting. And they were just summarily, it was a chance, it was an excuse for the government. There'd be another minor incursion and it was an excuse for the government just to go out and kill the key opposition youth leaders and uh, so that was when we were deciding to go back so obviously the faith is, I mean fear is going to win isn't it no but you know, we prayed and by the end of the month of the week we just sensed the Lord saying yeah you can go back and uh, but before going back I just uh, said Lord I'm going to go for a last walk on Southampton Common we're based in Southampton when we're over here and I'd love you Lord just to give us a sign this is the heaviest decision I've ever made in my life because you know, I was a single nut job and I was ready to die. I was 25 when I went out there, completely ready to die. People tried to kill me. People I care about were killed. Drove along the road once, 40 people were killed, got through. So, you know, I'd lived the dangerous journey. And, but as a single man, felt completely expendable. And then even as a married man, it wasn't that different because my proposal to Lizzie included the line, are you ready to be a young widow? So, you know, she had bought into it. She knew that, it, you know, we were counting the costs together. But with little kids, you know, prrr. And uh, so I went out on, on Southampton Common for a prayer walk, and I was just walking along, and I, I came across this missionary who had been a missionary in Pakistan, and he'd had the death threats like me, and he'd had, you know, child kidnap issues and, and loads of heavy-duty stuff in an Islamic state that's very anti-Jesus. And he just spoke faith into me. And I was like, thank you, Lord. You know, there's not someone within a 200-mile radius who could have, you know, you couldn't have hand-picked someone you know, just to walk along. And then we met on a path. And he spoke faith into me. God's so good, isn't he? But the, the verse I've been speaking on and meditating on uh, of late is 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's a great line because it, it, it's, it shows God's heart. You know, God wants to strengthen all of us. That's his desire. He's like looking out, you know, with Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6. It was like, who, who shall I send? Here I am, send me. And so that prayer that took me to Brunei was, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. And, you know, some of you heard this story, but this guy tracked me down. We met up in Bishopsgate in the city and he said, I believe God sent me to you and he wants you to go to Burundi. This is 18 years ago now. And be involved in youth and mission evangelism. My heart was thumping in my chest because I had been praying, Lord, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. And so I said, all right, I'll think about it. And I was back in my job in front of the computer. I said, all right, God, right now, give me a radical sign to justify this radical change of career. Leaving family, friends, security, dosh, everything. So right now, give me a radical sign. And the phone rings. And I pick up the phone. The voice on the other end, out the blue, says, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? That's wild, isn't it? But no, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. Not partially committed. Not halfway in. Not hedging our bets not insisting on having all our ducks in a, in, in, in a row. 
And if we do that, we have a faith, but we're not living by faith. See the difference? So I'm guessing all of us here this evening, we have a faith, but that's so different from from living by faith. Because to live by faith, you have to journey with him. You have to step out of your comfort zone. Like in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abram, he says, leave your country, you're settled in Haran, but leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And so we step out of our comfort zone, we move, and God shows us. That's very challenging, isn't it? Because we're... Most of us were totally risk-averse. But if we're not on any level taking any risks in our pursuit of Christ, then we don't need him. And we're not living by faith. He says, trust me, go with me. And he wants everyone here this evening, so, you know, to disarm you. We didn't come here to ask for money tonight. We didn't come here on a recruiting drive for Burundi. <laughs> you know, maybe you're relieved on that one. But, uh, you know, wherever we go, I just ask people to pray. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that's what we want. Because that, you know, he talks about you know, a move of God that moved his family and his community to come to faith. It was birthed out of three years of praying. But I suppose I'd want to say, you know, and as, he, as he did say, is, is that beyond the praying, then, you know, they prayed. But then we've got to go. We've got to go. And we've got to get out there. And what does that look like in a culture which is obviously more hardened to the gospel than Burundi? Burundi is very easy to share Christ, you know. Very people are very open. I went into a bank once and, you know, speaking Gurundi, and the, the two cashier ladies they said, "What do you do?" I said, "I'm a preacher." And so they said, "All right, preach," and uh, just led them both to Jesus in 15 minutes. You know, it's 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 a lot more fertile out there. So that that is true. But what does the what does the lesson? You know, when we talk about 750 young people going out for two weeks in in August, you know, 750 times 14 days times eight hours a day that is a lot of intentional community outreach isn't it we're bound to see people come to faith i had a friend in london who uh, you know when he went to his new church he, he, he said you know if you if you sow a hundred seeds maybe two will produce fruit but you know that means that if you sow a thousand seeds you're going to get 20 and, and ten thousand you're going to get 200 and that's what they saw 200 seeds just <laughs> sowing 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 not being afraid to share a story you can't deny a story can you you cannot deny a story. You know, well, you, I mean, you, you could say, some people retrospectively have said to me, I thought you were lying when you shared that story. But you could come out and meet Agnes. Agnes, my friend, who was, went deaf, dumb, and blind, and curled up in a ball for seven years, and was wheeled out into the patio to get the sunlight and then wheeled back in. And, and you know, she was a vegetable, and everyone knew her. So it was, and uh, after seven years, a bunch of young people came and prayed over her in Jesus' name, and her whole body uncoiled, and she got her sight back, her hearing back. Uh, but the only thing she didn't have still was her speech. But, she, but she, surely the Lord wasn't going to stop there. So she joined the church choir by faith. And three weeks later, the Lord <laughs> released her tongue to sing his praises. And she will not shut up. You know, turbocharged evangelist. But you would be, wouldn't you? And as I say, you cannot deny a story. You know, she's been on national radio and stuff like that because she was the vegetable. You can come out and meet her. Now, we were preaching in a... We were together in the States a number of years ago, and, and there's a question and answer, and afterwards someone said, yes, said, um, why are there all these miracles going on in Africa and, uh, and stuff? And, and, and that's what came up with a sort of corrective. I don't know if you remember this, but he said, you know, well, actually, you know, we don't see miracles all the time in Africa, but the time we see the miracles is when we get out in the church building. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Because we want all our mates in general to come into here. Now, this... Yeah, it's a nice building. It's a very weird place, isn't it, if you're not brought up in this environment? You know, I was brought up going to church, so this is not weird to me, and I can speak the language and know when to sit down and stand up. But, 
You know, Jesus didn't say, go out and bring them all into synagogue. He said, just go. Go out into their territory and share Christ authentically on their terms. And he wants to use each one of us. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And it, he's not going, all right, that can only be three in here. So maybe Charlotte's up for it and, and, and John. And, but no, it's like, this could be all of us. But to live it, it means being very intentional, doesn't it? And uh, not slipping to the lowest common denominator, but being together and saying, you know, what does this look like in this culture, in this community? How do we model this incredible hope that the Bible talks about? It talks about this living hope, this incredible hope. But, you know, why aren't our friends and colleagues asking us about hope? Well, maybe on some level it's because we look like and live like we hope in the same stuff that they do. And it's challenging, isn't it? And one of the ways we can completely smash that is just choosing to live by faith and not fear. And when you, you know, pull away all the layers and think of the last big significant decision you made, you know, not what you had on your breakfast, on toast for breakfast or whatever, but, you know, something significant, and you peel away the layers and get back to the, you know, the root. What was the fundamentals of that decision? Was it faith or fear? I think often it's fear. You know, we store up our security in our house or our pension. There's nothing wrong with those things, but it is if that's our security, saying, trust me. I've got big hands. And so that's my ongoing journey out there. That's the thing I'm wrestling with the most. But I, I, whenever I'm tempted to, 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 well, it's a big decision. It's like, okay, you know, am I, am I still trusting you for this? Or am I trying to hedge my bets? Or what does that look like? He says, just trust me. So I don't know, you know, what you need to trust him for here in your very different context. And please don't feel condemned or judged and, you know, us saying we're doing it out there and you losers over here. It's not like that. It's level ground at the foot of the cross, isn't it? We've all got different issues, different battles to face. But the best way you can engage in that battle is, is coming in surrender. I'm in, Lord. I'm not going to bargain with you. I'm not going to have a compartmentalized base. I'm going to trust you for everything. I will do anything. I'll go anywhere. And as the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, you say, I'm in. I'm in. And I'm not going to do it by myself. Because we weren't made to do this by ourselves. You know, Jesus sent people out at minimum two by two, didn't he? And so we do it, those of us that are married, we do it as family. Those of us that aren't, we do it in, just in community. We find it in life group and we're like, how can we do this intentionally? And it's definitely costly, but it's definitely worth it. And so we'll carry on doing it out there. And uh, yeah, who knows, who knows where that journey is going to go? It's, it, as I say, it's been a very, very difficult season. And so, you know, in previous years, I think I came to you and however grim the narrative was, it was that things are getting better. And then the last couple of years, you know, sometimes ministry is two, two steps forward and then 300 steps back. And we've literally gone 15 years uh, back in terms of development. When I first went out there, it was an emergency situation, wartime. And uh, now, you know, it's back to being it's a non-family post for NGOs. People are not allowed to have their kids there. And we, <laughs> we're the only ones, you know with our kids there, with that small community of missionaries that don't march the beat of that fearful drum. Maybe it's a common sense drum, but faith sometimes goes beyond common sense, doesn't it? So I would love your prayers. And, and, you know, I haven't chucked this around, but, uh, um, you know, I'll have those at the back. I know most of you already get this, but if if you are an email, just stick it down there. About six times a year you'll hear from me. uh, And that would be lovely to hear. And uh, I know none of you got this already, but there's some books at the back if you want to grab those. And uh, those are freebies if you want those. I don't want to bankrupt the charity, so you know you have to buy those. But great shot in the arm, because as you get my heart, you know I, my question is, how far is too far when Jesus went that far? And he didn't go that far for us just to be nice people in Warnish.
or Guildford or Putnam or Compton or wherever you've come from. It's, it's all of us. It's like to take to lay hold of this message and be laid hold of and say, I'm in. And the eyes of the Lord. It's a great verse, isn't it? I'm repeating it because I want it to be seared into your soul. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. And we can be honest, Lord, I haven't been fully committed or I was five years ago and maybe I, I just got disappointed and I've been taken out for a bit, but this evening afresh, I want to put a marker in the ground and say, yeah, I'll count the cost again. I mean, he didn't soft sell, we're not soft selling. If anyone would come after me, he said, he or she must deny self, take up cross daily and follow me. And actually for us, it's a whole lot easier, isn't it? Because things are so much more black and white and extreme. And here in sort of suffocating suburbia where it's just tone it down and fit in, that's why you need to be so intentional about modelling things differently. We're in a deathly culture with a very militant agenda, aren't we? Which I notice coming in all the more. I think we're all just shocked. We're like, what is going on with our culture where such an aggressive agenda of secularisation and, you know, we we love transgender people. We, you know, we are cool to, aren't we? But, you know, we talk about that today. It's on every, every show. You turn the radio on, it's like, we, you have to give the kids a choice. And it's opening up a, an issue for a four-year-old that isn't even an issue yet. And, and, uh, and it's just, it's a, what's going on in our culture? But then, you know, think of advertising and stuff like that. You know, we don't get this. You get bombarded, they guesstimate, by 3,000 adverts a day. You know, be it from billboards or songs or music or whatever. And every advert has a lie in it. Do you know that? So I love my, my, my friend has got, um, he, with his kids, he stops during the adverts, he stops it, uh, the advert, and he says to his kids, what's the lie in that one? And he's trying to get his kids to think critically, because every advert is saying you are inadequate, you're not whole, you're not sexy enough, you're not manly enough, you're not fulfilled, you haven't arrived, unless you have this product. And some are more harmful than others, aren't they? But it's just relentless, relentless, relentless. And... Uh, we don't get that, or less than, maybe we get 50 a day. And so, you know, it's like, wake up to what's going on. Because then we will, not, we will spend our money differently, because we're not going to just waste our money on a product we don't need to impress people we don't even like. You know, I mean, it's just so crazy when you really sort of deconstruct our culture, which is easier for us to do from the outside. But so, you know, let's think, let's engage, let's team up together, let's work together. Be completely countercultural, beautifully so, engaged, loving everyone, mixing with everyone, including everyone in the invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And uh, we'll carry on doing it in Burundi. You guys, God bless you to do it here, or wherever he's called you. Amen. So we're not dashing off, but uh, let's have a few minutes to just uh, come intentionally now before God in, in prayer. And afterwards, you can ask questions uh, over coffee and at uh, the back. But, uh, you know, if we've got, we've got, let's say we've got about 10 minutes now of pressing in and inviting the Holy Spirit to meet with us. So, Holy Spirit, you are so welcome. And this is your place anyway. We don't need to welcome you, but we're saying in a very conscious way, we want to meet with you now. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening.
Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It's a lovely prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, thank you this evening for each one of us here, brothers and sisters, saved by your grace. Lord, I pray that as your eyes range throughout Surrey and Wanish and this church right now, longing to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed, that we can, in integrity, maybe daunted, but in integrity, say, yeah, counting the cost, I'm in. Maybe it's been a partial commitment, maybe it's wavered up and down, there have been seasons, but this evening fresh, I want to say, I'm in. I don't want to bargain with you. I don't want to live from a, a paradigm of fear, I embrace a foundational commitment on faith. Why don't you open your hands to God? C.S. Lewis says, God gives where he finds empty hands. So Lord, as you look at my hands right now, I'm just saying that it's a vulnerable position, it's a position of openness, of surrender. And if it's true that you give where you find empty hands, well, maybe metaphorically, the challenge is that my hands are stuffed full. And I'm struggling to have an experiential reality of you because my life is so complicated through stuff. And some of the stuff's good, but some of it's definitely getting in the way. I need to simplify. So Lord, you can have my past. You can have my regrets, my depression, my anger, my bitterness, my frustration, my despair, disillusion, whatever. You can have the good stuff, the future, my longings, dreams, aspirations, ambitions, hopes. You can have my family, my friends, my job, my finances, my health, my hobbies. Whatever it takes, Lord. Fully committed to you. I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. Lord, use us. In your mercy, use us. Thank you that you are the hope of the world. Thank you that you're doing remarkable things in Burundi in the darkest places. The light shines brightest, but there's plenty of darkness here, Lord God, so use us. I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here right now that you'll fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. Receive that. Streams of living water cleansing, washing through, purifying, revitalizing, quenching, satisfying. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
there's a, just a lovely holy stillness right now. So if you want to just keep on praying, pressing in, do that. You know, if anyone wants to come forward and be prayed for, and S4 and Charlotte here, I can pray with you if there's any specific issue you want to nail. But uh, in a formal sense, we, we, we're done. But uh, don't leave without you know, what God wants to do in, in you. If you feel you want prayer, come forward for that or with the per- person you've come alongside with. But uh, that's the formal end. Thanks for coming. God bless you.